Hi, my name's Tara Humphrey and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast, where I will be sharing interviews and insights from the field of healthcare. The Business of Healthcare podcast is brought to you by THC Primary Care, where we provide operations and project management to primary care networks. If you are a clinical director or a practice manager and your to-do list is growing by the minute and you could do with an extra pair of hands to support you to roll out your network-based contracts and projects, I would love to help you. We also provide consultancy and coaching advice to healthcare business owners and clinical leads looking to take the next step in their career or their business. Come and check us out at www.thcprimarycare.co.uk. In this episode of the Business of Healthcare podcast, I am meeting with Dr. Dan Bunstone. Dan is the Chief Medical Officer at Push Doctor, had a great conversation. This interview is kind of split into two sections. The first part of the interview, we talk about Push Doctor, which provides GP online consultations, although they are expanding to include other professions. Currently, the organisation supports five and a half million patients, but that is growing by the day. And then in the second part of the interview, get to learn more about Dan, how he manages his time. We talk about conflict of interest. We also talked about the value of seeing a coach. So that part of the conversation is gold dust. And whilst I didn't ask Dan the direct question around well-being, you're here as we talk. Lots of examples, lots of things Dan does to maintain and protect his well-being which is so important at the moment just because life in primary care life in healthcare life in general is extremely busy and we also talk about the importance of discipline commitment and not saying yes to everything another leadership masterclass enjoy share and I'll see you in the next episode Hi, Dan. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How's life at the moment? Yeah. Hi, Tara. Uh, thanks, for, uh, thanks for having me on board. Pretty good, actually. Um, exciting, busy, I must say. And of course, there's a lot to do across all frontiers, really, both with Push Doctor, uh, trying to sort of get the business going and, and move into some really exciting areas. And also, of course, with the vaccination sites too. So there's a, there's a lot going on, which I enjoy, but gosh, it's spinning a lot of plates. Yeah. For our audience that may not be aware of Push Doctor, could you just give us a little bit of a background to what you guys do? Yeah. So uh, Push Doctor uh, started life back in 2013. So we've been around for a long time. In a nutshell, what we do is deliver digital GP consultations currently, mainly to the NHS. And we also do a, uh, a piece where we have additional roles as well. So we're looking to expand into additional roles like physio and, uh, and, and pharmacy too. So we're We've got some some work afoot with that to help support the PCNs. Ultimately, the raison d'etre is to supply really high-quality GPs to the NHS to support the NHS. So GP surgeries who contract with us wouldn't necessarily, in fact, they don't deregister patients. They maintain their own patients. It's almost like having a digilocum, but I guess it's digilocum plus because we maintain all the governance and the, the support for the GPs working for us back at the ranch. How many clients do you currently have? We currently partner with the NHS GP surgeries across the country, 
current NHS patient reach is about five and a half million patients. Well, oh, that's growing fairly rapidly, I must say, because as more people need the services, see the value of the service, then you know those numbers grow uh, grow rapidly. Okay. And what's your role with Push Doctor? So I'm Chief Medical Officer. I've been with Push Doctor since May 2018. So a lot of my role will be around governance, around quality, making sure that the doctors are doing what we need them to do and providing the best possible care. Of course, a lot of my role is also strategic too. So providing support in that future direction, services that we should be moving into, areas we can help with for the NHS and an area of support that we can generate and help with our partner practices. How did you get involved? And do you do it full time? Uh, so first question, how I got involved. It was an interest I always had to sort of do something slightly outside of, but also inside the NHS. So outside of NHS, but also with inside healthcare. And I guess I managed to find that with uh, with PushTouch, which is great. Digital delivery, even before COVID, did seem to be one of the areas that was growing, an area we could really move into and expand and actually an area that would really benefit both doctors and patients. So I found it a really interesting arena to get involved with. Purely by serendipity, my role as a chair of a CCG, so I was chair of Warrington CCG, that was coming to its natural conclusions. And I kind of wanted to look for a different challenge in life. So yeah, it was partly decision, partly fate. And uh, as all these things tend to work out, mm. I think the, the two combine. And is it a full-time role? I work... Uh, four days a week for Push Doctor. So I maintain a GP service. I'm also a GP partner in Warrington and I work four days a week for Push Doctor. So it's a lot. Yeah, I mean, there's a commitment there, but as I said, it's it's challenging yet very, very enjoyable. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of loving where we're up to at the moment, loving it, looking at how we'd look to support the primary care networks and supply sort of additional services to help them become what they need and want to become. So our paths, I think, first crossed when Dr. Fasana Hussein put us in touch. And coincidentally, I've just recorded some podcasts on selling. And I was explaining to Fasana that where I I'm, I straddle being my uh, running a private business, but I'm, I've also got an NHS email. And when people first meet me, they may think I'm an NHS employee. And that conflict of interest, you may be in one capacity with one hat on, but then there is also, there may be an opportunity. And she said, you need to speak to Dan. He does this really, really well. So I come across lots of clinicians that have got a business and they struggle to promote themselves. Or when they do, I mean, I've got another client that says, oh, they're they're too salesy. How do you manage, it may not be a conflict of interest, but how do you manage to sell and promote Push Doctor without people thinking, oh, here comes Dan constantly going on about Push Doctor? It's a good, good challenge, actually. It's an area that I think we often struggle with, certainly in NHS, because we are seen to be spending taxpayers' money, which is absolutely right. And I think the interesting thing around conflict of interest is that I view that as a potential positive, not necessarily the conflict of interest piece, but The fact I know and work and straddle lots of different areas and can happily piece things together is a massive benefit. So, you know, Push Doctors partners exclusively with NHS at the moment, and we're here to support NHS, GPs and patients in providing that additional capacity. So my role at Push Doctor also then feeds in very neatly with the role of being a clinical director and also a GP, because, of course, I can see the gaps that GPs suffer I can see the strategy that CDs need to achieve for their PCNs. I have a digital solution to that problem through my work at Push Doctor by 
having lots of those conversations about how we link up all the moving parts. So I think that conflict of interest piece is, is actually a benefit. We would need to call it something different, but it's a, I guess I would call it a network really that, that sort of works there. You know, digital appointments and face-to-face -face appointments all go hand in hand. And we're looking to create that much more efficient system effectively. And I think we're getting there. It takes a bit of time to do. And of course, the COVID curveball has uh, given us something additional to deal with. But, you know, we, we face these challenges head on. Okay. So how does continuity of care fit in with your service? So if I, I've got three kids, I'm not that attached to my, uh, for my, myself personally, not that attached to seeing the same doctor, but it does help. It does help that, that you feel that they know you. How do you support, how does Push Doctors support that? So with, with the continuity of care, what we tend to do with the services we supply is have the same batch of doctors working for a certain area. Okay. So even though we work as a national company, let's say one of the areas down south, so let's, let, let me pick London, it's a poor example because it's so massive, but let's say London, you might have 15 GPs that just cover London or, you know, let's say Cambridge, for example. So even though we work nationally, we do tend to try to keep our doctors in, in small patches. The value of that is, of course, the doctors get used to the nuances of the systems, the referral processes, the prescribing guidelines, etc., and also the subtle nuances of how the individual practices may be, and of course, the PCNs and the federations work. So it's a sort of a win-win situation, really. Helps patients to see the right person at the right time, helps practices, helps our doctors, and also helps the networks too. So that, that's how we get around that continuity. And are there any objections when you're when a practice or a PCN is considering you guys? What are the objections that come up? What makes them nervous about saying, yes, we're going to do this? I think the nerves effectively come from it possibly being a little bit of the unknown at the moment still. We've all been doing it a lot more. And if there is any silver lining to, to COVID, and it's a very thin silver lining, I must say, it's enabled us to work differently and very quickly out of necessity. So suddenly all consultations or many consultations are covered off either over the phone, either over the phone or through video medium. Not everybody needs to be seen face to face. I think one of the issues initially was concerns around, you know, how do we know we're getting a good doctor? We've all been stung in the past by having poor locums, doctors who come to the surgery, charges the earth, not been great. We mitigate that risk. And of course, we assure PCNs that we're supplying good doctors because we audit we go through uh, significant events with the doctors as and when they happen. We feed back to the surgeries. And of course, the PCNs will have a dedicated governance team uh, that will meet up with them at least monthly to deal with any issues that, uh, that may or may not have arisen. I think it's about that assurance that we're providing a good service, which we are. And of course, it's developing that relationships with the PCNs. Any of the PCNs or indeed CCGs we work with will be able to attest that fact. We fully support them. We try to provide a bespoke service. And as and when things do occasionally go wrong, we work in healthcare, things don't go perfectly every time. We work them through and we make them right and we make sure they don't happen again. So we mitigate all those risks. Do you think, and I know we're a long way away from it, but when we're all vaccinated and COVID feels like it's, that we may have peaks throughout the year like we do with flu and other things, but when life returns back to normal, do you think your service will still be needed or do you think practices will go back to old ways of working? So I think there will always be a natural shift back to the, the how things used to function. 
But um, I don't think we will ever fully go back there. And I think by going back there, we may miss a real trick. Digital isn't a panacea. It's not going to solve all health problems all the time for all people. But actually, there's a massive market it can fit into, which is really powerful. I don't think it's about replacing face-to-face, but it is definitely about us working together, combining that blend of face-to-face consultations and video consultations where appropriate. There's so many things you can do. So if you're housebound, it, it sort of enables your ability to see a doctor easier. You can more effectively and efficiently do uh, care home ward rounds. So rather than necessarily having to drive to five different homes to see five different patients, as a healthcare professional, you can very quickly see those patients effectively. And if a face-to-face consultation is necessary, well, okay, you, you go and do that after a video consultation. It's about improving patient care and it's about improving effectiveness and efficiency of healthcare delivery for the NHS. What about the other side? What about the well-being of the healthcare professional? So it may be more efficient to do things online, but I think we've all found sitting in front of a computer for hours on end is really draining. And sometimes you just need It's nice seeing a colleague. It's nice seeing somebody's face. It's nice going out as much as we all moan about it. Sometimes I think, I can't wait to get on a train and moan about the commute again. (laughs) Um, So what about, yeah, the well-being? So none of the doctors who work for Push Doctor work exclusively for Push Doctor. Uh, And that that was absolutely by design, in part with that in mind, but also in part recognising that, you know, we need to, as doctors, maintain our skills in examination from a physical perspective. So all of our doctors are NHS doctors employed in NHS and either at least with a portfolio career, but on an NHS performance list. We run a shift pattern. So of course you would never do more than four hours in a day on video, in part recognizing that fact that it can be isolating at times to work alone. I guess no different than working in a surgery. You might nip out during a surgery for a cup of tea, but you don't always have that interaction in primary care like you might have in hospital work. I guess, though, just flicking that around slightly, the real benefits, though, are you are able to truly work from home. So, you know, if you have a situation where you do a morning of video clinics and then an afternoon of paperwork, reports or whatever that old blood results, for example, you can genuinely work from home. That for lots of the docs who work for us is a real boost to their ability to provide services. So uh, there is a number of GPs, for example, I know who work on the portal who might do three days a week as a GP partner or a salary GP who would never do more than that because they don't want to, haven't got the capacity to, but then would happily give back to the system doing a couple of additional sessions from home per week. So there's a net positive gain to the NHS for the amount of GPs available to the services. Okay. You mentioned your kind of your phase of growth. Can you a little bit more, could you tell us a little bit more about that? Where are you guys now and where do you want to go? So inevitably, I mean, we were on a a really sort of clear path of growth and development prior to COVID. As I said, COVID sort of chucked a a bit of a curveball in there, but of course it chucked a curveball in for us all. And video consultations, as I said, are definitely the the route for the future and it will form an increasing part of the consultations uh, for GPs and for NHS in general. The next phase of our growth is about bringing brilliant technology solutions to other parts of NHS. So enabling other health services to meet that growing demand by treating more patients efficiently and effectively. It's not about dropping technology out of the sky onto docs and PCNs. It's about sitting alongside them so that they can put our tools to work for their colleagues and for their patients. 
we enable partners to successfully adopt our technology by investing more in training programs and service support than any other business that I know about in our in our space. So it's about that mutual support. You don't just buy push doctoring where you go buy. That's first consultation is the first day of our relationship. That's where we really all work together for the future. So I say this genuinely, Push Doctor is there to support the NHS and to support primary care networks, fulfill their ambitions. I know that lots of the networks, and it's well publicised, can't recruit all of the additional roles for the ARRS schemes. Having said that, that level of disparity isn't equal across the country. So there might be more physios in Birmingham than there are in Exeter. But actually, we can help to iron out those gaps because, of course, you can be a, a physio in Birmingham consulting with a patient in Exeter. So there's, there's lots of ways around that and, and, and to support that. Okay. What does the future of Push Doctor look like? So at Push Doctor, we believe there's a significant amount of patient care that can be undertaken safely and to a very high clinical standard remotely. We believe that this can ease the burden on doctors and nurses to allow them to carry out the things that they have to do in person better. Lots of things around ward rounds, patient reviews, uh, housebound patients, carers, and indeed carers. Carers are, are a really important area that we should be looking to move into. So I want to learn a little bit more about you. So you're a medical director. How do you learn to be a medical director? I think it's a it's a journey, really. So there are obviously practical hurdles that you need to go through and capabilities that you need to go through and to, and to sort of make sure you've got the competencies. So my route was one of making sure I understood thoroughly around the governance of general practice, of course, and the wider system. So effectively, I started life doing commissioning work as a governing body member for Warrington CCG and of course then moved over to the chair of four years which I completed and then moved over to Push Doctor. A lot of the role is about the practicalities of you know what is right and what is wrong and you will learn those things on the job and as you get more experience but of course a whole chunk of the role is around leadership, team growth and, and developing a team and making sure you have that team with those skills that can support you and help you to deliver what you need to do uh, as an organisation. What have you learned most about yourself in this position? Because leading others is difficult. How big is the Push Doctor team? Gosh, well, I mean, in, internally, we have a team of 100 or so people who, who work at the office per se, but don't actually actively see patients. External to that, we have a much larger team, of course, of GPs consulting. So I guess it's the, the middle hundreds when you consider the size of the of the team in total. The thing for me, it, it, it has genuinely felt like a journey. Now, I always used to listen to people describing, you know, feeling like a journey, and it sounds cliched and twee. But actually, if I look back at myself when I started as a governing body member for Warrington CCG, you know, maybe 10 years ago, I am definitely a different person to who I was then. I think a lot of that stuff that comes is around being able to trust, being able to delegate and actually being able to separate yourself from that desire to be operational and strategic. I think as a doctor, innate is that desire that somebody comes with a problem, you want to diagnose and solve it for them. Actually, that role is a little bit different, I think, in leadership, where often you might see the solution, but have to nudge people to how they get that right. And very importantly, and certainly for Push Doctor, I can't be all things for all people. It's so important that I have a team that I can trust who go and do the stuff and then feed back to me and we feed in as a team. 
you have to work as a team and especially remotely. Can you share any painful lessons that you've learned? I think part of that growth about becoming a sort of medical leader is you probably have to go through some very difficult times. They feel really awful at that moment. But then once you're through them, actually, you look back and think, okay, well, I know how to deal with that differently for the future. And there's lots of occasions where people, uh, I guess, break your trust, let you down, do things that you didn't intend them to do, unintended consequences. But I guess generically, there's that old phrase of, you know, all things will pass. You know, you, you will get through it. There will be a new dawn. And actually, you will always look back at that moment and think, gosh, that was bloody difficult for me. But here I am now and I know how to do that again in the future. Every day is a new learning opportunity. How do you process those thoughts? Do you have support? Have you, do you go to a colleague internally or do you have a coach or do you just, you just work it out? I have a coach who I will always see and I can't recommend having that impartial person who will give you some challenge more highly enough. There are people in the organisation I will speak to about problems and of course I will speak to Weiss who's our chief exec about any issues that come through and you know speak to different trusted members of the team but for me it's so important to have somebody in your life who you can just speak to and they will challenge you and they will know you and they will nudge and actually that person so for example with my own coach I will talk about things that are happening at work in my personal life things that happen with my kids all those things that build up that stress ball that might create Dan at times and of course that person will help me to really you know work through them and I always come out of a coaching session both thinking, gosh, you know, it's, it's, it's like a, it's like exercise for the brain. Yeah. Things always feel renewed and things always look different. How often do you see your coach? Probably every six to eight weeks at the moment. We sometimes actually, if things are feeling pretty okay, we, we sometimes delay a session and, and let things run out a bit. But I'm in the good position of having somebody who I've known for a long time. So even if we've not got a session that's formally booked in for a couple of hours, occasionally just sort of picking up the phone and sort of smashing the squash ball around the court for a second is uh, is, is very useful to do too. I'm really glad that you said that because I think some people think a coach is it's a luxury and whilst it may be to some I think in a leadership position it's really 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 important and I just sometimes I think people just think what could a coach do for me or especially when things are good because sometimes I'm seeing my coach today and when things are good, sometimes I think, what am I going to talk about? But something always, always comes up. Yeah, I would agree. So I embarked on coaching journeys as a cynic. So exactly that sort of thinking, gosh, I don't know what I'm going to do here. I'm not going to talk about two, three sessions in. I was a complete convert. It is really useful to do. And I would suggest and endorse to anybody, if you've not tried it, give it a go, give it a couple of sessions, try to go in with an open mind. And actually, If you can let yourself be entirely honest and open with your coach, maybe not at session one, but, you know, the sooner you get there, the better. The more you give in, the more you will get out of it. That is my experience of coaching. It's really powerful. And you end the session almost universally feeling very good. Now, I guess the only caveat to that is I've had a variety of different coaches over my time and some I've always got on with them, but some have got out of me more what I was wanting to get out of. And I guess I now have a variety of people in my life who who I might go to for certain things. So there are a couple of people I've spoken to as coaches in the past who I really get on with, probably would go for a pint with them and a round of golf, et cetera. And I might go to them if I just want to sort of feel pretty good about myself. 
and other ones who I know will absolutely challenge me and, you know, put me through the mill. And sometimes I, I want that process too. So I guess it's about making sure the coach that you have is, is the right person for you because coach will say, you know, this relationship might not work for the pair of us. And it's about finding that right person. Okay, so there's a question which I feel like is usually reserved for mums, and that is how do you do it all? So you've mentioned you've got kids, you essentially, you know, you're part of two businesses, and you're also a PCNCD, you're part of Confed, I see you blogging, I see you online. Rather than me just say like, how do you do it all? It's like, what practical strategies do you do to manage your week so at the end of the week you've still got energy for your family do you know it's a really interesting question I have reflected on this because yes I am busy and I have been busy for forever I think I've probably got a modest addiction to it now where you know unless I'm dealing with 42 emails every hour yeah you're not happy (laughs) for the kids I I don't feel happy and so what I will tend to do is I didn't do this. I now do do this, incidentally. I now only pick and do things in which there is a clear synergy between them and there is a nice bit of serendipity between what I'm doing. And what I mean by that is, so if I look at being a GP and a clinical director, actually, a chunk of the work that I need to do as a GP is encompassed in the clinical director role. And the clinical director role enables me to function better as a GP, very practically making sure I've got all the roles, where the role is going to fit in, how my surgery works. And of course, you then expand that out into push doctor as an example. Well, being a CD enables me to see how the big NHS pitch is evolving and how push doctor can support that. So effectively, I will tend to pick roles where they naturally overlap each other and provide each other mutual value. So, you know, if I was approached by a garden centre, for example, I probably wouldn't do that. That's a twee example. I know what the principle being. You pick things where there's lovely overlap and you almost do two jobs at the same time, if that makes sense. Yeah, you've got the luxury to be able to do that. Lots of people don't that are in a leadership position. So they may not be medical director level. So if John is listening to this podcast and thinking, um, he's got is a portfolio role leader, got a family. What what three pieces of practical advice could you give him to manage his day better so he doesn't feel overwhelmed and stressed? So the biggest and best piece of advice I can give is to definitely compartmentalize. By that I mean when you have three roles that add up to one whole time equivalent on paper, actually those three roles never do. You always end up with, you know, a 2.5 whole time equivalent role. They always overspill more than they you're contracted to do. I would suggest to you to be disciplined. And even if it's a simple compartment of work and family, you need to be absolutely clear about that. So when the weekends come, 5 p.m., 6 p.m. on a Friday, phone goes down, genuine emergencies only, and usually not even that. You spend that sort of quality time there and you commit to that family life so that that's really important to me it's really important that I get my job done I do a really good job and I'm committed to that but equally there's lots of things that are very important to me so you know taking the dog for a walk going for a run with my with my family my wife and kids that's very important to me too and just having that sort of time spent in the house just doing fun things exercise and and keeping active very important to me and that's that sort of shared interest we have as a family so being able to really put up the barriers and that, that sort of stop when work should stop is the is the most important thing for me. And not always saying yes. 
I think it's very tempting when you get into the more senior roles that people will tend to come to you to look for solutions. Being able to delegate sometimes to nudge back and actually not always inherit all the problems is very important. I love that you go for family runs together. I'm thinking the five of us, that if we went for a run together, that would be crap. Like Mark would be off. <laughs> Tali would be thinking, oh, my legs hurt. Like it just, yeah, we're not there yet. Maybe that's a goal. <laughs> and it takes time to do. And I, I guess the, we, we don't need to get into this now, but actually if you look at things called muster running, where what you would do is Mark, it sounds like Mark might be the faster runner. Mike, yeah. He'd run ahead and then he'd run back to catch it. Then he'd run with you again. So Mark, even on, on the same one hour run, you might end up running six kilometres and Mark might end up running 10 kilometres, but you're all out together doing yeah. that. I'll try that. Okay, to wrap this up, I'm going to ask you some quick fire questions, okay? okay. Is this like apple or banana kind of stuff? A, a little bit, bit more than that, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll go first. This is like, this will divide the nation. Dog or cat? Dog. What is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Uh, it's, it's, it's that compartmentalised thing. I think you've got to really separate, be in the moment. When you're with your family, be with your family. When you're at work, be at work. What is something you are self-conscious about? Physical image, actually. If I'm going to do an obvious share, this is like a coaching session. But yeah, physical image. <laughs> okay. I'm like, oh, what? Tell me more, but it's fine. What show on Netflix did you last binge watch? Ozark. Good. Would you recommend it? It was very good. It was about how to loan the money. So, I'm, um, yeah, I've learned a lot. <laughs> <laughs> what is something you believed earlier in your career but think differently now uh, it's about leadership roles I think where I very much felt as a leader you had to do everything and know everything all the time and you had to be the absolute expert on all areas it's a painful experience to recognize that you're not I don't need to be an expert financier to be able to be in a leadership role okay and what is the most embarrassing thing that has ever happened to you oh, at God. work oh at work now my god that's uh, that that's an important list I can't really think of um of many things that have happened at work. I do remember teaching a medical student once um, to do a, a rectal examination. And as she took off the glove after the aforementioned rectal examination, she managed to flick some fecal matter across the room and it hit the curtain to the uh, right-hand side of my head. Thankfully, none hit me. That was there. If you can't use that story, then the other story that we might want to talk about is when I was doing nights once and I sat on some old chap's bed to talk to him about uh, how he was feeling. Bear in mind, this is two in the morning. He needed to use the commode. So, of course, I've done a large amount of pee in a bottle. I promptly knocked the bottle over of his urine, all went into my lap, and I felt it dripping into my shoes. <laughs> the urine was still warm. And I remember sitting there thinking, my God, is this a low point or a high point? Three in the morning on nights with another gentleman's urine seeping into my trainers. Oh, thank you so much, Dan. If people want to find out more about Push Doctor, where should they go? We've got a website. And actually, the website's the best place to go to. So pushdoctor.com is the website to access. Uh, lots of contact details there. And we've got a team. So if you go onto LinkedIn and look at myself, Andy Ather, Matt Elcock, or Shauna First, we are the best people to access directly from uh, from LinkedIn perspective, but the website too. And you're active on Twitter, aren't you? What's your handle? Uh, Twitter handle is at Dan Bunstone. Uh, so my name, thankfully, there's not many Bunstones, so you can uh, find me relatively easily. Thank you so much. Thanks, Tara. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like what you hear, I would absolutely love it if you left us an iTunes rating and five-star review. 
I know many of you give us a shout out on social media, which is lovely to see you guys listening to the podcast. So please come and find us on Twitter at THC Primary Care, on Instagram at THC Primary Care and on LinkedIn, just look for Tara Humphrey. And if you're not subscribed to our newsletter, please do. It's really, really funny. You get to hear more insights, more confessions, some tips and tools and a roundup of our activity over the week. So click on join the newsletter in the show notes and I will see you in the next episode. 